I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming back on for another episode of the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzik. And today, across from the table, I'm joined by a familiar face and voice, Mike Whitey Jensen, and a new face and a new voice, Nick Erickson. Guys, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Mentioned Whitey, you've been on the show before. Uh, The listener, the viewer will know you as likely Whitey or Mike. uh, And you've been on the show a couple of times. Nick, new to the show, explain to the listener what you do at Hornady, mainly just because I would like to know. And uh, uh, also, I'd like to, anytime we have a guest on the show that works at Hornady, um, one of the cool things about the podcast is it gives all of the viewers and all the listeners a chance to peek behind the curtain and see. We're a small company, we're family owned, and the people here care about what they're doing and this is their passion in life. So I want to hear, where'd you grow up and what was you doing as young Nick Erickson out causing a ruckus and what got you into guns? Yeah, well, we'll start with uh, what I do at Hornady. That's a great question. A lot of people try to figure that out. (laughs) Um, Now I'm a kind of a jack of all trades. I'd I'd work in the engineering department. Um, I work on a lot of new cartridges. build a lot of the test fixtures and, and work with new products. So, you know, help develop, uh, help the guys in the lab, make sure that we're spooled up on test barrels and, and reamers and all that good stuff and make sure that uh, all the new stuff's going on without a, out a hitch. So every time we start a new cartridge or bring a new cartridge to life, um, you know, make sure that the technical, technical data is, is on point. Um, and send that out to gun manufacturers and make sure that we're all making the same uh, same product. Awesome. And between the two of you guys, kind of uh, in-house gunsmiths for Steve and Jason. I don't know how many times <laughs> I see Whitey working on something or Nick's got a barrel in the in the lathe and he's threading muzzles. What are you doing, Nick? Oh, threading this muzzle for Steve. He wants to take a suppressor with him to whatever hunt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's been a lot of fun. And, and um, the, the opportunities that Hornady has given me to... Uh, expand on that has been absolutely wonderful because nowhere else can you just go out and hop on a lathe and nobody really questions it so and not very many places you can work where you stroll up into the office with a kit i mean you got guns over your back and guns (laughs) in the briefcase and working on different projects and everybody runs towards you to see oh what's nick got yeah what's the what's the latest and greatest so yeah no it's been good um no grew up in north northwest missouri um just a typical farm kid, always, always hunted everything, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so. Coyotes, uh, girls, deer. Yeah, everything. <laughs> um, no, I had a couple buddies growing up. Their dad was really into reloading and, and firearms. And I grew, uh, you know, I, I flew to that like a moth, moth to a flame. You know, he, uh, Rick taught me a lot of things, how to reload, how to make sure everything was good, clean a gun, mount a, mount a scope, all that good stuff. So I, I owe a lot to him for sure. And nope, found my way to Hornady and haven't looked back since. Awesome. So just a gun nut from the word go. And then before you were at Hornady, worked at a gun shop of some sort. Just yep. Yep. Worked at a gun shop. Uh, we did some, a lot of sales there, a lot of training, worked in the, uh, we had an indoor firing range. So did some training there and a little bit of gunsmithing on the side of that too. So. Awesome. And it just goes to show the listener, the viewer, just another cog in the machine, if you will, of people who are passionate about the industry, not just Hornady, but just guns in general. And uh, Nick, the reason we have you and Whitey on the show today, we haven't done a, a podcast about this, about revolvers. 
And that's, I mean, I think Revolver, you got like the Dirty Harry, Elmer Keith. I mean, you've got these cool guys with these, you know, big guns. And I don't think there's anybody in our company that is more passionate about the use, the collection, uh, the gunsmithing in Whitey's case uh, regarding revolvers as you guys. So I want to bring you on the show and really dive into everything revolver because when I started at Hornady, I didn't know that Nick had every Smith and Wesson ever made in his, ha- you know, in storage. <laughs> not everything, but, not everything, but, but I, close. I knew right away that Whitey was a revolver guy and not just, you know, oh, I bought some guns. This is, he's building cylinders, he's chambering guns, and he's hunting the world with a revolver. And that just was such a cool factor to me. Uh, and I'm excited to hear your guys' comments on, on one, that part of it. But I would like to hear, before we get into anything revolver-related, specifically what got you guys into revolvers? Whitey, what, what was the thing where you were like, I'm gravitating towards this wheel gun kind of thing? Well, I started out, I mean, I started out with a Colt Python 357. Like you said, it was like the first Magnum. Yeah out there so i started out shooting one of those and then later bought a 44 mag and i just was gravitated to it but probably the persons or people that uh drew me to revolvers the most were probably of course the big revolver the big magnums like the 454 casul and of course dick casul and and bob baker were so, of course, they built those and are come out with that revolver in 83, I think it was, mm-hmm. 1983. So, that those people drew me to it because I, I wanted one of those guns. Yeah. That and shoot. you were helping develop the XTP and pistol then, bullet. And then we were developing the pistol bullets, that whole line of pistol bullets. So, I was interested in that. Mm-hmm. Of course, wanted to build a big and a tough enough bullet for the Casul as well. And then, of course... And probably the other uh, person that influenced me a lot was uh, John Lineball. John Lineball was an amazing revolver pistol person altogether. I mean, rest in peace, God rest. Yeah. He uh, passed in, in March, I believe it was. Okay. So, which was kind of a shock to everybody, but yeah. It's, and you've gravitated, it sounds like, to the big stuff. So, yeah, so now I, of course, my favorite gun is a 475 line ball. That's what I, I use the vast majority of the time, and the, and the 454 console mm. is probably my yeah. two big guns. So you've, it seems like, listening to that, that maybe in the 70s and 80s time frame, you were kind of drawn to revolver because there was a lot going on. There was influential folks, like you mentioned, coming out with big guns, big cartridges, and as a bullet maker you were just kind of drawn to that big heavy powerful handgun kind of right thing. and i and i'm kind of a classic single action revolver guy mm-hmm. I'm a matter of fact i think uh oh, bob baker's built me a 41 mag so i like the cold the older classic guns and stuff like that too as well okay did you know that hornady has a full line of reloading tools and equipment whether you're brand new to the reloading game or a seasoned veteran we have tools that will work awesome with your setup. Check out all of Hornady's reloading tools at Hornady.com. Now, Nick, I'm guessing it was Dirty Harry 
or something along those lines that just said, hey, these are cool. Absolutely. No, the um, Smith & Wesson models uh, 29. Yeah, that was Dirty yeah. Harry Gun. Yep. The double action, that's where I'm at. I, I like the double action. Um, Smith 686s, Pythons, you know, even some Dan Wessons. Those are, those are really, really nice shooting guns for sure. So you were just growing up and thought they looked cool or oh, was it a hundred percent, you know, yeah. growing up, uh, late eighties, early nineties action movies. That's, that's what the, you know, the good guys had was big, long, shiny revolvers. So that's, yeah. that's where it grew up. And, um, you know, that nobody really had pistols. Uh, when I, when I grew up, everyone had rifles and shotguns. So if you were going to venture down that path, that was the path to, to take. Cause mm -hmm. generally, you know, a revolver shoots better than a semi-auto and, uh, you can hunt with them and uh, silhouette shoot and do some other stuff with them. They're, they're more versatile than what most of the semi-autos were. So that's, that's kind of okay. led me to it. That makes sense. So, you know, if we re rewind the clocks and look at historical revolvers and this isn't a historical episode we're going to focus more on the hunting and the practical use of modern revolvers now but you go back a long ways i mean there was a variant of a revolver back in the 1500s um, obviously it was kind of muzzle stuffed uh eight chambers i believe uh german maybe and then you know some pepper box guns that had barrel you know one cylinder but several barrels and yep. uh, other things like that and then you get into you know samuel colt and Smith and Wesson in the mid 1800s and things kind of really took off. And what really accelerated that was one rifled barrels, uh, you know, right around that civil war time frame and post civil war, you've got rifled barrels that greatly helped the accuracy and self-contained cartridges. That was, was huge. And that really helped make revolvers what they are. And then by the time you get to turn of the century, you know, that right around 1900, the, the revolvers that were kind of they were staples i mean that was the pistol and then obviously oh, you had yeah. the, the 1911 semi-automatic that came along but from around the turn of the century until and probably up until the 80s that was kind of the law enforcement gun of choice right? yeah oh 100 percent um yeah so I go back to the wild west you know that's that's what everybody thinks of as a single action cold or oh, yeah. a, a the, skull field you know the those proverbial six shooter yeah and it was, it was a way to get, you know, uh, extra shots without having to reload, um, you know, that and the, the lever gun were, were a, uh, a match set at that point. Everybody had one or the other or yeah. both. Chambered in probably 4440? 4440, yeah. yeah. That was, yeah. I mean, 45 Colt on some, 3840 on, on others, but yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting that most sidearms were the same uh, caliber as what your, your rifle was too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's made it kind of convenient. I guess, us, yeah. If you had a bandolier, you got a lever gun on the horse and a six shooter on your side. Yeah. So, no, it, it's the um, the way that the technology has evolved over. You know, it took hundreds of years to get to that point, and then it was just crazy. The the um, manufacturing yep. helped a lot in in the evolution of the revolver for sure. So, if we look at cartridges that were available in the revolver and the revolvers themselves um you know everything kind of i'm going to say mild up until 357 magnum and what was the 357 mag and how influential was that because that didn't come out until the mid 30s right so um you know it started with basically a smith and wesson model 10 a colt police positive same same kind of gun 
uh, 38 special. And a lot of people were carrying that, but it didn't have a whole lot of power. Um, and most of the bullets that were loaded in it were lead, you know, a wad cutter or semi wad cutter jacketed bullets really didn't become popular until you got to the Magnum. Um, the introduction of the Magnum, uh, Smith and Wesson model 27. And that's, that's what did it. I mean, that's added the, you know, the extra 200, 300 feet per second. That's where you had to get into the jacketed bullets because the lead, you know, wouldn't, mm -hmm. wouldn't hold up. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that turned the handgun into kind of what it is. You could, you could hunt with it. Um, it gave you more power. So from a 357 mag to 38 special, like you mentioned, you, you get a substantial, I mean, it's not marginal. You're talking 200 feet per second plus in some instances with heavier bullets. Um, so that kind of changed the scape of the revolver, not just the the cartridges, but the guns themselves. You know, at the prior to 1930, you had a lot of you know top break action, uh, not a not a ton of side loading uh, revolvers like you see now, which is so popular. So you had the uh, the 357 mag, and then kind of quickly followed quickly being a relative term, quickly followed by 44 Special and 44 Mag. And now we're getting into some serious stopping power in right. regard to handgun cartridges. Yeah, no. And one thing about the, the 27, um, that was the first Magnum frame gun. So that, you know, that was bigger than a, a Model 10. That was quite a bit bigger. The cylinder was bigger. Everything on it was bigger. And with the development of that gun, it led forward to doing bigger and, and crazier things. Mm -hmm. You know, it, if you didn't have the, the 27, you wouldn't have a 44 mag because that's what the original, really? you know, that frame was built yep. on. So, and I, I say a relative term, you know, because that came out in the thirties. Well, it wasn't until the fifties that you have the 44 Magnum and we couldn't really talk about revolvers without talking about Elmer right. Keith. And yeah. I'm not a Elmer Keith historian, but from what I understand, that man was pretty, pretty tuned into pushing the boundaries of revolvers oh yeah. oh yeah and heavy hand in i believe the 357 mag and, and the 44 mag yeah. oh 100 percent. he he had done a lot of development you know he had a ranch up in montana or wyoming and he was notorious for uh overloading stuff and Splitting breaking straps. colts and yeah so <laughs> he was kind of hard on things but he you know he was a pioneer for sure and he wasn't afraid to to push the envelope and change it and you know, crazy ideas. I've read a couple books of his, and it's absolutely amazing what he was a, a able to do up on his ranch. Because, like, holy, it's I, amazing he still had both hands when he was done. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and he didn't believe in putting in a vice yeah. and pulling it with a string. Yeah. He, he shot everything by hand. So, yeah. must have had hands of steel like Whitey's. <laughs> oh yeah, they're, they're bear paws. Well, both of you guys have really big hands for the listener <laughs> out there. Yeah, uh, and I have a gimp thumb and small hands and i'm not too keen on shooting big revolvers but the 44 mag uh huge probably not a, a huge law enforcement presence there in the 50s 60s 70s kind of stuck to the 357 way more tameable to yeah. shoot easier to shoot probably yeah oh 100 percent. and and most of the 44 mags were you know six or eight inch barrels uh they weren't really a personal defense at that point or, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. you know they were hard to conceal a six inch um, a lot of the 27s or, or the police positive models were, you know, four inch, three and a half inch, four inch, stuff like that. So it made it easier to get in and out of a holster and, and more manageable recoils, mm -hmm. more manageable. So Sure. And what I really like, we mentioned it earlier about having, you know, in the Wild West, you had a revolver and a lever action chambered in the same thing. And I really like 
38 special 357 and 44 special 44 mag for that same reason you know you, you can have a revolver you can have a lever gun and if you want to bring the recoil down and just shoot the heck out of it mm-hmm. shoot the heck out of it i've got a smith and wesson uh with the eight and three eighths inch barrel the 629 sure. the classic dirty hairy gun and my uncle who i inherited that gun from full house 240 grain as hard and fast as he could you know all of his life and now that I get to shoot that gun. It's getting 44 special. I'm not impressing anybody. I just want to shoot it and have <laughs> oh, yeah. fun. Um, so I really like that, that versatility. Um, we'll talk more about hunting, but on the law enforcement side, how far do we have to come forward in our timeline before those revolvers really kind of got phased out? Because for a long time, I would say a hundred years, the revolver was kind of the standard for mm-hmm. a lot of law yeah. enforcement. Sure. Um, I, I know with the, the, the Glocks and let's say that came out, you know, in the eighties, um, there was some 1911 presence for sure. But now it, you it, don't hear yeah. anybody carrying a revolver. It's rare to find somebody that carry a revolver, especially in law enforcement. Yeah. I which, think some of them probably still do. I bet there's some game wardens that there's probably a few, but yeah, no, there, there's a few, there's a, uh, a couple guys that don't actually have to qualify. You know, they, they don't have to shoot hundreds. Yeah. And, Small hundreds of rounds, yeah. PD. So they, they still carry a Model 10 or a 686 or a Python just because. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and it, it's funny that you mentioned that because if you come back to a 41 Mag, that was its whole presence. Oh, the, um, wow, yeah, the 41 Mag. Was, when did that come out? So late 60s was, yeah, early mid- 60s was, was the development on that cartridge. And it was basically the, the in between a 357 and a 44 Mag. So there's a lot of guys that wanted more penetration, more stopping power, but... The 357 didn't offer it, and the 44 was too much for them. So a 41 mag was developed by um, Remington, and it's it's a niche cartridge. It's a it is a just a sweetheart. I I like yeah. a 41 mag yeah, for I sure. Do I don't own one, but I remember starting here at Hornady, unfamiliar with it, and I was like 41 mag. That just it's kind of got this romantic thing to it. Like it's just <laughs> it's not a 44. It's not a 357. It's not mainstream, and it's just cool. Um, so developed like you mentioned almost explicitly for law enforcement obviously plenty of hunting applications yeah no and it, it was uh mainly a law enforcement gun and i don't think it ever took off as much as they wanted it to um definitely most people that want a 41 mag now are hunting with it because it does do such a great great mm-hmm. uh job i mean we offer a 210 grain xtp and 190 grain ftx yeah um and again, cool part about it, you know, Henry's making a lever action in it, so you can get a lever action and, and uh, you know, your sidearm as well. So, um, but most people shooting 41 mags now are hunting with it, you know, pigs and, and deer oh, yeah. and, and light game stuff. Super versatile. Oh, yeah. I, I have taken pigs with mine for sure. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I've got uh, uh, Bob Baker's making me one Freedom Arms mm-hmm. in the smaller frame. Okay. That's why. That's out of character. That's why I ordered. Yeah. I ordered it because it's in the smaller frame and, and I thought it'd be a little more packable. Yeah. Put it in behind my, my binoculars. That makes sense. It'd be plenty, plenty shootable. A little less recoil, a little more manageable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting old. (laughs) Getting old. Yeah. (laughs) I won't consider you old until I see you in a tree stand, Whitey. Oh yeah. That that, probably won't happen. That'll be a while. Uh, So really the, the revolver. You know, starting as soon as revolvers were invented, up until well into the 80s and 90s, it was a staple in law enforcement. And we still make and still sell a critical duty skew 
in law enforcement, 357 Magnum. Yeah, it's a... Uh, 125 grain? 100, or 35. 135 grain. Uh, critical critical duty. duty. Uh, and that... that Bullet works good. I mean, it's shot through the same uh, FBI protocol as is our forties and nine millimeters and and all that good stuff too. So, no, that's that's a good skew, and we still sell quite a bit of it, really. Yeah, and that's what kind of struck me as odd. But then I think like where we live, you know, most of it's all Glock, but in rural areas where maybe you have a a smaller sheriff's office or a city mm. PD or a county PD, not populated, and you know you're generally going to end up shooting a wounded cow on the side of the road that got hit by a car or a deer or something like that there's sure. still plenty of appli- applicability for a wheel gun oh yeah and i think i think the majority of it goes down south i think texas buys a lot of it oh yeah yeah i think now that you mentioned that i have heard that from our sales team yeah which is cool yeah to think about you know you got the guy on oh, yeah. <laughs> big texas yeah well and, and with uh colt bringing back the python and the anaconda you know that that brought a surge uh uh, sales on that as well because sure. you know uh, rick rick grimes from the walking dead always carried a, a six inch python too so mm-hmm. i think a lot of a lot of guys are bringing coming back to that just because yep well we owe a lot for sure to samuel colton smith and wesson and 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 many others um but now i'm going to shift gears and kind of rewind a little bit so the law enforcement it just kind of got phased out because of the reliability and the amount of rounds you can carry in a semi-automatic striker fire pistol so you don't see a lot of 1911s you see a lot of glock um you know a lot of sig out there and you're carrying 17 18 20 rounds of nine millimeter and that makes sense for for law enforcement we get that you had about 100 years of a good run of revolvers being the staple for law enforcement carry um but if we go back to the 50s where you got elmer keith and a handful of other guys pushing the boundaries of not just the cartridge but the gun builders, give me a bigger gun, bigger frame, bigger cylinder um, with these cartridges that they were using for hunting. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time talking is, is revolvers for hunting. Because it's, there's just something cool and not everybody can say that they've done it. I personally have not. It's on my to-do list this year. I've got 44 mag in the safe with a dot on that thing ready to go, go. Yeah. take out into yeah, the woods. Yeah, those shoot good too. So uh, starting in the 50s, you have the 44 mag, and that most people now would say is kind of the minimum medicine that you want to take for, say, grizzly defense. Um, but for your primary cartridge for deer and stuff like that, did the 44 kind of set the tone, uh, or was it playing second fiddle to the 357, or how did that accelerate in the 50s to present day? Oh, I'm... I'm shot deer with 357 as well as 44, and of course I like the bigger, yeah. You know, when you get the more range and you get get a little more velocity, and and you can you can shoot a little further. That, that's because I mean, face it, in a revolver, a lot of your limitations on your distance. I mean, you can put a scope on and what have you, and shoot further, but you are yeah, you still have to keep in mind that that's the velocity drops off really quickly. Yeah. The energy drops off fairly quickly. So it's something that you, you have to be aware of. Yep. So your so, range is limited. So then you look at cartridges or things that can shoot that Faster. you can, if you want to shoot further mm-hmm. for deer or sheep or something like that. But if you're shooting something big and 
I mean, face it, anything that's big is, you know, you want to take dangerous. It, big. It, it ain't dangerous if it is 200 yards. So, yeah. So well, you, that's, that's true. The, that's uh, the goal is to get in close on the big ones. And sounds so like you got, got a, you got a screw loose, Mike, is what that sounds <laughs> like. I know you like to get in close, and that's cool. So, 44 probably taking the lion's share of hunting until, like you mentioned, that late 70s, early 80s time frame, you saw a drastic rise in development. Yeah, not only bullet type, but, but uh, you know, cartridges that could shoot further and, mm -hmm. and make extend, extend your range as far as for hunting, I suppose. When you got to throw in the 45 Colt there too, because there's been a fair share of guns, big guns, Magnum guns and 45 Colt. Um, and that's what helped drive the Kasool development. Right. But I, I think a lot of it is jacketed bullets and bullet technology that's really helped the handgun out. And, and when mm -hmm. you get a, a good jacketed bullet with, uh, you know, positive expansion, that's really what, what drove well, handgun hunting. That's a good point because up until the early 80s, a lot of the jacketed pistol bullets were only half jacketed yeah they're just short jackets or they were like a three quarters or a seven eighths type of jacket and they had this the lead was really exposed and our mm -hmm. xtp was one of the first that folded that jacket all the way up the ogive and then pulled inside the hollow cavity mm -hmm. to really control the expansion and and when we developed that i actually developed that using the 454 casual as a as a base so when we developed that we wanted to make that course we build it out of a tougher jacket mm -hmm. for the casual but but after we built that and wrapped that around on uh and and shot it out of the casual and proved that we could we could make a bullet like that that steve's looking at it and he's like we could do this a whole line of bullets we could do this on everything mm -hmm. so it's like and that's kind of spurred yeah so like, our playing around with the 454 casual <laughs> actually kind of spurred the rest of the line did you get steve's permission to play around with what became the xtp first well, or after well that was kind of a gray area there i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh well and that just all goes back to we as an employee base are so passionate about what we do you needed a bullet because you wanted a casual because i wanted <laughs> I, I was ordering i bought a casual and then i wanted to build a bullet that i could shoot out of it and it so turned we, out to service the whole industry so we were we were pessing, playing around on a on a saturday or a weekend and and basically come up with this bullet and then how it, cool is that it turned out to be something that we could add to the whole line or well and it revolutionized it not started just, something there. yeah not just at hornady but now that's kind of a standard if you're getting a jacketed hollow point bullet that it's going to have a design similar to that and like Nick mentioned, if that, if you hadn't done that, been able to wrap that bullet to really control the expansion, the Kasool, the 460, the line boss, all those big cartridges, they would have overexpanded and underpenetrated with those legacy bullet designs. Right. Well, even go back to 40 Smith and West Center 10 mil, I realize we're on revolver, but a lot of those cartridges couldn't exist without a, a good a bullet yeah. there as well. They got more so. bullet mass and more velocity, and you're just going to force that thing open too yeah. quickly. Yep. The Hornady Security Fireproof Keypad Safe. 
with a heavy-duty 16-gauge steel body, extra-thick 8-gauge steel door, and four 1-inch diameter locking lugs, the Fireproof Safe achieves a fire rating of 30 minutes for up to 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Both the interior and adjustable shelf are covered in a protective carpet that offers flexible storage configurations while safeguarding valuables from damage. The Fireproof Keypad Safe from Hornady Security. So you've got the, the 80s as being a huge, huge, you know, you've got, like you mentioned, um, you've got the BFRs that, you know, you know you've got the Kasuls was the big one, uh, the Linebaugh, the, you know, the 480 Ruger, you know, that was significantly later, but in that same big high power family. Um, and then you've like Nick, you mentioned the 45 Colt, you've got a slew of 45 caliber cartridges that can still shoot the 45 Colt, yeah. just adding to the versatility. So uh, I'm quite unfamiliar with the, the history, so hopefully you guys can help me out. Um, you know, the 454 Kasul, the most powerful handgun cartridge at the time. And of the hand, big handguns I've shot, that one bites the worst of, of the bigger ones that I've shot. Um, when did the 460 Smith & Wesson come into play? It was significantly after the Kasul. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. by a couple decades. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, two thousands in the two thousands, um, and we did that development with Smith and Wesson on it. I can't give you an exact date, sure, as well before my time, of course, but yeah, um, it's probably good two twenty years later, yeah, because I think we Casul was eighty three when Dick Casul entered entered that first uh, four fifty four. Mm -hmm. So you've got a couple decades there, and now you've got this huge cartridge. I mean. Monster, monster cartridge in a revolver, and then enter 500 Smith and Wesson. Well, the the 500 actually came before the Did 460. It really? Yeah. Okay, so the 500 yeah. even bigger. Yeah, and it. Um, I think Corbon is the one who introduced that. Okay. So again, with Smith and Wesson, they mm -hmm. built that that big frame, that big cylinder, mm -hmm. um, and since they already had that, then we then we worked on the 460 with them. Yeah, and I've shot the 500. I've shot the 460. And I've shot the Kasul, and I don't know if it's just the guns that I've shot, but I'm telling you what, the Kasul bites right, right here. And I've, like I said, I got a gimp thumb on this hand, but it, it, it bites pretty good. And the 460 seems a little more tameable. Again, that's a big cartridge, but I, the Smith and Wesson that we have, big vented oh, barrel, yeah, so big, that helps. Big gun, big heavy. Kasul, the Kasul operates a little bit higher pressure too, oh, as far it? as that goes. Okay. So, so today, if you're a handgun romantic and you're into hunting with it you've got a smattering of cartridges as small as 357 mag as big as 500 smith and wesson so from 50 cal to 35 cal you've got tons of options uh and bullets to go along with it and and we've got our xtp bullet like you mentioned and why do you mention this in the uh, earlier in the podcast there's no doubt that like well you, the way you put it that animal's not dangerous at 200 yards you got to get in close and these bullets need velocity to work and they lose velocity really quickly right so enter so the ftx bullets the, our ftx bullet uh you know with the dave emery and the help of several others uh that that really brings even more long-range potential i say long range as a in in relation to traditional handgun right, hunting, right. because we were able to put a pointed ogive on this thing. So now you've got a, an actual ogive uh, that's got a point on it, so it holds on to velocity longer, mm -hmm. still safe in a tubular magazine. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. And that, that, you know, that helped with, um, Henry's and Marlins and, uh, Winchester's to, to feed the FDX to, to make those, uh, guns a little bit more relevant and, and user friendly and, and mm-hmm. to be able to hunt with them too. Um, and that flex tip, it's called flex cause it's, uh, gooey's not the right word, but malleable. it's soft, malleable. Yeah. And so at low velocity impact speeds, it sets back and really pushes that bullet open. Um, so we've got kind of two flagship products there for the, for the handgun market. Enter newest ammo for our handgun, and we call it out on the label, handgun hunter. Oh, yeah, that, that monoflex, that, that is an impressive bullet. I mean, that's, that's going to be a, a whitey brainchild again. <laughs> I, he no, makes a lot well, of it work. So I can't take credit for that. I mean, Jeremy and Jeremy Millard and them guys and, and Tyler now, they're they're uh, taking that they're, they're they're taking that to another level. Yeah, we just built a we just built a five hundred. Oh, that thing is three hundred grain. It's massive. Is, and so that people that don't quite understand this or aren't familiar with it, lead is very very dense. So if you want to make a really heavy bullet, it doesn't have to be that long because lead is so dense. Right. Well, when you take the lead out and make it a, a copper alloy, like ours is copper and zinc. You want to make it heavy, you end up with oh, it's yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it's, that thing's got to look like a lug nut, like it's got to be right. huge. I mean, that's that's basically what it does look like. It's got right. a big big hollow point that's filled in with some elastomer. Yeah, yeah, and, and those monolithic bullets. Uh, have you guys shot those for animals uh, yet? Um, I've only shot pigs with them and stuff like that, but I haven't. Uh, I didn't use that on the moose that I hunted this year. I had uh, I had the casual along in case we found a sheep. Okay. And I had the uh, had the handgun hunter with that one mm-hmm. in my casual, and that thing really shoots phenomenal. I was shooting out to two hundred meters with it. Scoped. Scoped. Awesome. I was gonna say I took my whitetail Nebraska whitetail two years ago with the forty four mag, and it did exactly what it was supposed to. I mean, it just opened up and and killed it on the spot like a 25 yard shot and Beautiful. had no, no issues whatsoever. Awesome. So we've got several options from our XTP bullet that you can find in custom. You can find it in American gunner. Um, we've got the classic XTP that Whitey helped pioneer the FTX, which is found in our lever evolution, um, perfectly at home in a revolver. It can expand well at low velocities in our most recent ammo skew, the handgun hunter monoflex bullet with the elastomer tip. So whether you're looking for deep penetration uh, a lead-free option, that's the Handgun Hunter, the classic performance of the XTP, or that kind of holds on to velocity a little bit longer, a uh, little bit better BC, still going to hit hard, and the lever evolution with that FTX. So I want to make this a little more personal now and talk about your handgun setups for hunting. And maybe if a listener's out there doesn't have a handgun setup for hunting, what would you recommend for them? And then what's it look like compared to your personal handgun setups? Well, of course, you're a little different. I, I, I love, I, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm a single action revolver guy. So I, I, for my hunting, mm-hmm. I, I, I lean towards a single action revolver. I think they're the strongest, the most accurate. Mm-hmm. They're not the most easy to handle and play with, but as far as reloading and stuff like that, but. I mean, let's face it, when you're in the middle of shooting an animal, you ain't going to have any time to reload anyway. No, right. So, 
So you better get her done in four or five <laughs> rounds. Yeah. But, uh, yours but, are big. <laughs> but, but I, I've, I like the freedom arms. Freedom arms makes one of the, the most accurate, the most strongest revolvers mm-hmm. on the market. So you can, you can push them, you can, and they're, they're super accurate. I mean, I'm, I, I mentioned I could shoot that one out to 200 meters. Now, would I recommend shooting an animal, a healthy animal at 200 meters with a 454 kazoo? Probably not. No, but, but if you had to make a follow-up shot on right, a wounded. Right, right. I mean, uh, you know, I try to I try to hold my distances into ethical ranges, but but yeah, it. But that's just how accurate they are. Yeah. They'll shoot out to two hundred meters without are no problem. Most of your handgun hunting setups scope. Do you do some open sight? I got uh, my my four seventy five. It's a five and five eighths barrel, and then I run a. It's a Freedom Arms, and then I run a a, a Delta Pro on it. Okay. So perfect. Yeah, the loophole red dot with probably with the really small with dot. a two and a half. Mm-hmm. So and so and it shoots really good. I mean, I can shoot out to, I mean, I can shoot, I can shoot out further with it. But I mean, it'll I can shoot to a hundred yards. Yeah, and put them in the palm of your hand pretty much on a that's four seventy five. So. Wow, it's then, and, and that's a Casul, right? That's the line ball. That's the line ball. Okay, four seventy five line yeah. ball. And which, your Casul scoped out? My school my Casul is scoped with a two and a half. The eight power Leopold on it. Okay. And it, yeah. It probably stacks them in there. And that stacks them in there really well. I bet. I mean, it, it's just about a, at 50 yards, it's just a ragged hole. At 100, it's yeah. maybe a couple inches. That's got to feel good. So when you do get dangerously close, you feel confident. I, I feel confident the guns will do what I, as long as I do my part, the yeah. guns will do their part. Nick, what's your handgun hunting setup look like? You're running scopes, open sights, and what cartridges? Well, it, it it comes down to what you're doing and where you're going. So um, my main gun that I that I do a lot of the hunting with uh, is a 8 and 3 eighths full under lug Smith & Wesson uh, 629. And I've got a loophole fixed four power handgun scope on it. And, Again, just it, it's a pleasure to shoot. It shoots really nice. Forty-four mag, uh, three hundred grain XTPs is what it likes. Um, and then when we go pig hunting and stuff like that, I, I try to shoot open sights. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forty-one mag, uh, custom shop, ported. It's a cool gun. And then uh, backpacking, I've got a um, scandium scandium frame. So what what model is that? Six. 329, 329 PD is what okay. that is. So four-inch barrel, scandium frame, 44 mag. Super light. Um, super light. I've got a nice Alaskan guide, Alaskan series, something. Um, holster, tucks sure. it in tight underneath so your backpack straps aren't in the way or anything like that. So um, that's what I took to Alaska when I went up there. And, you know, it, it's handy. It uh, You know, it's, it's six shots of big... Probably not a joy to shoot. <laughs> oh, it's it it sucks. Um, but <laughs> if you're getting charged by a bear, it yeah. doesn't really matter. So that's yeah. that's what that one's for. So okay. don't really actively hunt with it, but you know, for a backpacking gun, I've been on a couple bear hunts and, and have taken it and, and it, it's wonderful sheep hunts, so on and so forth. So awesome. So I'm gonna pitch this back over to Whitey and I'll come to you next, Nick. If you got if, if you had to tell a listener, hey, you you want to get into handgun hunting, you want to just try it out. What would you guide him to from a cartridge, maybe even a gun standpoint? 
Well, and it, of course, first it'd have to be an idea whether or not he was recoil sensitive and mm. what have you. you know, if, if he's recoil sensitive, you know, the and 41 say, mag is probably say, a good uh, starting. Hunting deer, let's say. Just yeah, kinda. you say he's hunting deer and stuff. He's just starting out hunting small game deer. I mean, a 41 mag is going to be easy enough to, of course, granted, you can load any of them down and, and practice with them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, not like you have to shoot them full house full every house. time. Well, and yeah. that's where the specials come in. You know, if you get a 357 or a 44, sure. you could always shoot the specials yeah, to sure. get comfortable with it and get familiar yeah. with the gun for sure. So, yeah, I would recommend that he like, you know, something shootable, mm -hmm. but still strong enough. 44 mag, 41. Even a 357, you know, you could get her done. Okay. But uh, but I I still like the single action revolvers. I think you know, Ruger makes a good one. There's there's a number of. Oh yeah, they make a decent. Uh, you don't super, have to super Red, Red Hawk, Hawk, and then they make a Re, uh, Black Hawk Hunter that's already got the rail on yeah, it with yeah. the rings and stuff, so you can put a so, scope on yeah, it. Those I mean, are those are really nice for for what they are. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you're going to really get into it and you really, really want to do it serious, you know, you can't go wrong with the Freedom Arms, but they are more expensive. Sure. Nick, what do you think? If somebody's like, Nick, I want to go shoot a white-tailed deer with a handgun, what should I buy? What cartridge? What are you going to tell them? Yeah, I mean, in, in basically, I'm going to start with price point. You know, where, where do you want to go? Um, you know, how much do you want to spend? What are you going to do with it? Um, Taurus makes some really nice double action stuff now. I mean, they make that, uh, raging hunter or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're, they look cool. They shoot pretty good. We've got a couple of those yep. that we're sending on some rider hunts and stuff. And yeah, that's the ones I have on my safe. Yeah. And the, they put a red dot on them and they shoot really well. Um, for the money, you know, the Ruger, Rugers, you can get into those and, and they, we've got a, a red Hawk hunter, I think, or a black Hawk hunter and. Um, it's got a scope in it in the lab that we shoot bullets out of all the time, just cause it does shoot good and mm -hmm. you know, it's heavy enough recoil. is not bad at all. So I'm going to, I'm going to push people towards a 44 mag though. Cause it's, it's one of those that it's not so big. It's, it's unmanageable, but it's big enough that it'll do about everything you need it to do. So awesome. That's a good choice. And like you mentioned, where you can throw the specials in there, you don't have to hand load, you can bring the recoil down. So, um, just again, on a personal note. Whitey, what have you all taken from a game species with the revolvers, and what have you pursued with the revolvers that you might not have been successful on? Yet? No, I haven't as many as I'd like to, but I've I've hunted, uh, of course, antelope. We did a lot of antelope hunting with revolvers. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. You can't really, I mean, they they you think of them as long distance animals, but they're they're so much fun to hunt with a revolver. You got to do a lot of crawling and a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of stuff, a lot of flagging and what have you. But but they're they're more than doable with a handgun. And uh, of hogs and and uh, deer and yeah, whitetail and mule deer, whitetail and mule deer, and uh, uh, of course moose. And then oh, I haven't. I, I wish I, I'd like, I could say more than that. I've hunted more than that. Yeah, but that's it's what just, I was going to say. I know you've but, taken it but on in, a brown bear hunt. But then it's just still a matter of uh, getting the right shot, to mm -hmm. getting the right opportunity. You don't want to make, you know, with those guns, you want to make sure that you got a good, when you're shooting, mean, you face it, they're, they're going to be less power than you do with a high powered rifle. Sure. So. 
So you still have to make a good shot, and right. you still have to, if in order to make an ethical deal, you just can't take just any shot you you want. So you got to kind of pick your shots. And that makes sense. And yeah, I could see that being a big challenge from the hunting standpoint. Right, right. It's just like archery hunting. I mean, very close. Yeah. So you got to be able to pick your shots, and right. And you may hunt them. You may hunt a lot of different things, but doesn't mean you're always going to come home with one. Right. Well, uh, I, ho- I wish you luck. Hopefully you can get a, a brown bear down with one. That'd be cool. But let's not glaze past the fact that you killed a slammer mule deer. Was that with the 475? Yeah. I yeah, killed, out yeah. west public uh, land. Out west and public land. Yeah. That was cool. That was a yeah, cool was a nice. He was a nice mule deer for one of my best ones. And that's saying something. So, <laughs> yeah. congrats on that. Nick, uh, I know you've been well, laying I, down I'm deer. Well, I'm not going to pass over the mule deer. He... he Let's talk about the moose that he killed with the 475. <laughs> Recently three here. Mo- three months ago. I was going to, if so, if you're listening to this podcast, check out the Hornady Instagram, Hornady Facebook, because there was a post. Whitey drove <laughs> from Alaska with his moose rack chained to the top of his topper, uh, pulls in the parking lot, and you got everybody from Hornady bailing outside of the <laughs> oh, parking yeah, lot. No, not, <laughs> not only a moose, he did it with a handgun. That's, yeah. that's a feat within itself for yeah, sure. I didn't so. even take a rifle with me. He didn't even. <laughs> put a lot of eggs in the yeah, basket we're like we're like yeah i put the put the shooting sticks in there and the, and the handgun on it on the horse and there away we, we went didn't bring a rifle with us that's so, awesome nick what have you uh, been able to take because i may, know maybe i should have gone first because my resume is not quite as impressive as whitey's that's all right I've, I've shot my fair share of things quite a few pigs with some handguns um a cow elk and you know a couple whitetail so you know not uh not slacking by any no, means, not but, by but, any means. but not, not near as great as uh, Whitey over here. Well, so. I know a lot of people who have had handguns their whole lives and maybe have shot a whitetail deer, but generally some small game targets, shooting pop cans, that kind of thing. Uh, so to actually put them into use is, is pretty cool. So for the listener out there, Hornady has everything you could imagine for ammunition to service your handgun hunting adventures, uh, whether that be our classic XTP that modern lever evolution with the FTX or the monolithic handgun hunter. We've got something for everybody. And if you've considered it, get out there and do it. Like we talked about, I've got some 44s in my safe right now that I've been shooting that we got ready for some riders hunts. And I was like, you know what? This is just fun. Oh yeah. This is a blast. So it's on my docket, whether that be a white tailed doe or maybe a mule deer or something like that. I'm going to try my hand at getting something laid down with the revolver. Oh, you got to hundred percent, hundred percent. Power and performance in the palm of your hand. Hornady Handgun Hunter Ammunition. Built around the tough copper alloy monoflex handgun bullet that features a proprietary elastomer tip, deep penetration, and high weight retention. Handgun Hunter Ammunition. As rough and rugged as the conditions and game demand. The the one thing I would recommend is do a lot of practicing. Absolutely. A lot of practicing. I spent a lot of time practicing, maybe putting a pound of weight on each hound and then shooting daily. <laughs> That's an old school trick there. Yeah, That's I it. put a pound. Yeah. Well, I was shooting IHMSA competition <laughs> back then. Oh, sure. So I was what? trying to, trying, and we did a lot of hand, a lot of offhand shooting on that. Yeah. And a lot of offhand. So, so I would weigh each hand and then I would shoot. And then maybe you have an empty 
and then spin the revolver. And then so that you could find out if you're, you've got a flinch or anything like that. So, I mean, it, it takes a little bit of practice to just like, just like a bow. Yeah. It takes, takes practice if you're going to shoot, if you're going to shoot well with it. And it's a perishable skill. Right. Yeah, it it can go away quickly if you let it get rusty. Yeah, and you got to yeah, you get older, you get to got to keep keep up on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. For sure. Was well, there anything else in the world of revolvers that you want to mention to the listener that we might have glossed over? You know, if you can buy a rimfire in a revolver, that's oh. that's a riot. I mean, we went prairie dog hunting this this spring. We laid them out yeah. with that thing. What is oh. it? Three hundred yards. Three hundred and twenty-seven yards. Yeah. I remembered it because it's the small block Chevy engine yeah. size, so yeah. it was yeah. it was pretty distinguishable. <laughs> it's just a twenty-two rimfire, just yeah. laying them out. Smith and hey, Wesson. Yeah. yeah, Smith and Wesson six seventeen. So. Yeah, that'd be good practice. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And no recoil, fun. quiet. Was, yeah, you could single hand it. You know, yeah. you could do the classic high power yeah, stance, yeah. which was fun oh, and yeah. accurate. Oh I yeah, no, what. they they shoot really well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. that's a good point. If if you're gonna maybe try your hand at it, get your gun. Do practice with your gun, yeah. but don't be afraid to also get a trainer, if you will, and a rimfire. A little bit oh, yeah. more economical, easier right. to shoot. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well. I'm excited for hunting season. It's hunting season now, and I can't help but be excited. The deer are running amok. I woke up this morning with a swollen neck. I had to fight off the urge to pee in the yard and go run around. Like uh, It's that time of year, yeah. and uh, I'm getting more and more excited to, to get the handgun back out. And again, I've been shooting them, and I'm confident you guys will be doing the same. So we can't let anybody off the show, and Whitey's answered this. So, Nick, we ask every new guest on the show the same question. and this is very hypothetical and completely made up in a different universe. But if you had to choose one cartridge and one bullet for the rest of your life, now you could have infinite guns and infinite ammo, but it had to be the same cartridge, same bullet for the rest of your life. Nick Erickson, what would you choose for the majority of your shooting that you do? Because you span rimfire, lever actions, bolt guns, Long range, competition, hunting. I mean, you do a lot of shooting, so what's it going to be? Man, I, I don't know. As far as like a hunting aspect and, and what you do, you know, I got to go big. Uh, that way you, you've got it covered. But, you know, a classic, a 375 H&H. Um, and then, you know, that 250 grain GMX or CX yeah. bullet. It, it's got a nice high BC on it. Uh, uh-huh. Penetration is phenomenal. It shoots good. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a little recoil, but you know you've got a, you've got enough for everything you could ever want. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a yeah. fair answer. We that's had a, that's a good that's a good answer because uh, yeah, I got a few big things on my bucket list. Yeah. And, so and I, why do you forget what you said when you, we had you on the show? I I, I know I it, was it was really hard. It was a 475 line. That's ball what I thought it because was because it has a big enough bullet that I could hunt dangerous game critters, big critters, yeah. as well as anything in yeah. between and you could put it in a ruger number one or and a lever i could gun. put it in a lever gun i could put it in a number one i could shoot it in in multiple i could shoot it in rifles i could shoot it in yeah handgun yeah. we had somebody say 375 ruger so this is kind of right in that same wheelhouse i mean the ruger is i think superior it, it's it's a better cartridge you get a little bit more velocity and it's not a belted cartridge but another good thing about the h and h is it is it is a, a time-honored classic it's been you know, there's there's a lot of safari journals that were written with the 375 H&H, and, you know, it, it's historic and, and grand. It, mm-hmm. It's not modern. It's not 
the best. It's not, and tr trust me, I know it's it's a. Uh, it's kind of like Whitey. It's getting a little old in age, oh. but but it's still good. It gets the job done, and and yeah, the the Ruger three seven five Ruger is, is twice the cartridge it is, but. I just like the H and H. Yep. Well, I can't slight you for it. And if you have to pick one, and you're going to do hunting all over the world, from brown bear and some dangerous game down to white-tailed deer, yeah, it'll certainly kill a prairie dog and a coyote. <laughs> so, and and a great bullet choice to go with it. The CX bullet, yeah. like you mentioned, it's got a good BC. It's big enough and heavy enough for the dangerous game you're you're likely to encounter, um, and not so much bullet that you wouldn't, you know grossly be overboard for something like a deer or an elk or something like that so like i said we ask everybody on the podcast the same question and it's been kind of interesting to hear everybody's different answer so yeah sorry to put you on the spot like yeah, that we don't well, want to i can kind of understand that because i i bought a a classic uh dangerous game rifle not too long ago yeah and i picked the 404 jeffries which is kind of a classic old round I mean, granted, the, probably the 416 Ruger and and 375 are probably oh my yeah, uh, the 416 yeah. Ruger will probably out outperform it, but but why? But it's a classic. Yeah, yep. I guess it's it's kind of classic. And there's That's something the to be said about it. that. And you know what? We didn't plan any of this, but the fact that you guys are talking about the 375 H and H and the 404 Jeffrey being classic, it it's why we picked you guys for the revolver podcast because not that they're completely outdated that's certainly not true but there's a lot of nostalgia that goes along with the revolvers and yeah. from the Kaya, the cowboys in the wild wild west yeah. to dirty harry to the action movies of the 80s and 90s oh, yeah. like you mentioned oh, yeah. there's just a cool factor to it that you can't quantify mm -hmm. and it sounds like you know your personalities maybe trend to that well, maybe, uh, yeah, kind yeah, of maybe that way awesome <laughs> Well, guys, I appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to come on the show. Nick, we'll have you back on for some more episodes. Whitey, you'll definitely be back on the show as well. And uh, thanks again, guys. Yeah, thanks for yep. having us. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this educational episode on the revolver, going clear back into the last century and beyond, and then to present day, the revolver, tons of usage, and for the handgun hunter, it is the definite firearm with a smattering of different cartridges to choose from and great bullet options for everybody. We hope you enjoyed this one, and we'll catch you on the next one.